of camp. Have you had a good weekend? I know you have. I didn't even have to make you say it again. Praise the Lord. Still got some voices left? Good. The choir is going to sing later, so we need that. But God bless you. We've had such a blessed few days, blessed week. We're thankful to have another opportunity to gather this morning. If you've just joined us for the first time, we're happy to have you here. God bless you. Very privileged to have my family here. God bless you all. And we're going to just have a blessed time in the Lord's presence this morning. I'd like to sing with you, he stretches the heavens like curtains before him. There's no one like our God. We've witnessed that, and I just want to give him worship this morning. So let's sing that together. Oh, he stretches the heavens like curtains before him. He forms every star and he calls them by name.
him this morning, saints. He's worthy of it. There is no one like our God. Nothing can stand before our God. Hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. I'm so grateful to be a son of the living God. Amen. We've been equipped. We've been hearing the word. I trust that you are ready to go forth and claim what's yours. I know we sang it, but I can't hardly get away from singing Arise again. So I think we need to sing that once more. Maybe you can stand with us. Let's sing that. We'll sing it in F. Entangled with heavy chains of captivity, I was bruised and battered by sin. I was condemned and sentenced to a life of bondage. Oh God, there was no peace within. Oh, but then a sound was heard.
Tim to come and just ask the blessing over the morning offering on the service this morning. Maybe the brothers could just come and prepare for the offering at this time as well. Brother Tim, would you come please? Amen. Are we blessed? How many came to the camp with a specific need or burden? And God met you here. Why don't you just acknowledge that before the Lord. Look at all those hands. You notice my hand is up too. You know. Uh, sometimes you have a specific need. A specific burden. And you say Lord you must meet me. He's faithful. He knows how to direct his servants. He knows how to lead these brothers. Whom to invite. Anoint the ministers that are invited. And we're so thankful for that. And we're appreciative. How many are now are thankful for this camp? Amen. Praise be to God. I, I was just reading before I came to camp in What Hearest Thou, Elijah? And Brother Branham was saying, you know, the church needs revival. This is not something that is trying to produce something. This is a regular operation of the church. We need to constantly have revival. We rub shoulders with an unclean world. We need to come aside and be washed in the water of the word. Be cleansed and just let God have his perfect way. So we say thank you. Thank you, everybody. I want to say thank you. I'm not, I'm just saying for myself, but thank you to these brothers and thank you to each and every one. I'm glad to be here and I'm, I'm sure you are. And we're going to give our offering to the Lord this morning as part of our worship. And uh, we've come prepared for that. And just be mindful of how thankful you are. May this morning just be a real service of thanksgiving for what God has done for us and is doing for us this week. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you, Lord. From the depths of my heart, you know what it means to me and you know the discussions we've had on our knees with you, Lord. And we're so thankful that you hear our prayers. If it was just for me, this camp would be worth it. But you saw all the hands that were raised. Many that you met with, you answered their prayers. You lifted their burdens. You met their needs. You came on the scene for that. And for that we say, all glory to the name 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these brethren that are ministering. One more service today. We invite you, Lord, once again to have the preeminence. Once more, Lord, we want to say we love it when you have liberty, Lord. When you can take your servant and just speak to us. Lord, your love gift that you put in the body that your bride might receive of your love. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning you take complete control of every aspect of this service. We have just one service left in these meetings. One is enough, Lord. If there's somebody that still has a need, may they put their request in this morning. May they say, Lord, I'm here. I want you to come by my way. Father, just come and minister to me. And just let the speaker speak directly to me. You've spoken directly to so many this week. And now, Lord, we just commit the service, the the ministry, the music, everything to you. And we ask, Father, this morning as we lift up our offering unto you, may it be pleasing in your sight. You see our hearts. We might not be able to give much, but we give, Lord, as a form of worship unto you. So we commit all things into your hands this morning. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats as we take up the morning offering. Amen. We're going to invite the Masangu family from Oregon. They're going to come and sing for us. So why don't you just go ahead and come at this time, and we'll, we're not going to have another song. And once again, we just want to greet all of you who have joined us. We've had just a supernatural time. We're so thankful. Some of you couldn't see what took place last night, but last night we were just really in an incredible atmosphere, and Sister Sylvia came up here and she handed her hearing aids to Brother Michael and she thanked God for her healing. I say, I believe God's given her her healing. These are not cheap. (laughs) That is a step of faith. God bless you, Sister Sylvia. And I look forward to hearing more of the testimony. Amen. There's been supernatural acts in our midst and I'm so grateful to have been here and to have been a part of it. Amen. They're going to sing for us now. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. All we have need of is in that blood. There's healing in that blood. There's deliverance. There's salvation. Whatever you have need of this morning, and when we know is in the blood. So thank you for singing for us. God bless you.
Thank you, brothers and sisters. Where's Sister Shalom? Sister Shalom, are you able to sing this morning? Or am I missing you? Where are you at? Are you okay to sing? Why don't you come for us? And let's just sing that chorus. Glory to his name, glory to his name. Maybe just a little slower than we normally would. As Sister Shalom comes. And then we're going to have a baby dedication after that. So why don't you go ahead and make an F. Glory to his name. Glory. Breaks the sin that's binding. 
story about that song. The last time Brother David McGarry was here, he actually asked if I could learn that song. He wanted to sing it after the service, and I learned it, and then he did end up uh, calling it, and right before camp, that was years ago, right before camp, I couldn't stop singing that song, and I went and I found the lyric sheet that I brought here. I thought, maybe I'll teach it to the congregation, and then Sister Shalom came up and asked me if I knew that song, and if she could sing it. Like, well, we're already prepared for it, so the Lord has a mind for everything that happens in our services, and 
All the songs that Brother David asked me to play, I had already brought the chord charts for because I'm... <laughs> Because the Lord had just already laid them on our hearts. So there's a theme. The Lord is moving definitely, and we're so grateful. And I'm going to call my family up. We're going to have a baby dedication. So we felt that... <laughs> we felt it would be special if we had a dedication while Brother Wayne was here, and Brother Tom was gracious enough to allow us to do that. And for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar, um, do you want to come to this side, honey? We had gone through a number of miscarriages over the course of a few years leading up to summer camp last year, and right before summer camp, we had one uh, that was really quite hard on, on my wife's sister, Elena, and uh, very physically difficult, and it had just been a very, very difficult couple weeks leading into camp. And we came in just exhausted, but, you know, it's, it's, we were excited for camp, but definitely just very kind of heavy-spirited. And the last service of camp... I'm not going to go into all the details, but Brother Wayne Lawson just started sharing testimony after testimony. And the last two testimonies that he shared was of God giving children to people who had been unable to have it and supernatural things. And I just knew the Lord was speaking to us. And I was just amazed because we hadn't told hardly anyone. There was only a couple people who knew here at the camp. Brother Tom didn't know. Brother Wayne certainly didn't know. And he was sharing these testimonies. And as he was sharing that, the Lord just spoke very directly to me. He said, you will have a son and you will name him Samuel. And... That was August and in May, Samuel came. We're so thankful, so grateful for the grace of God. And so we're probably going to have our brother Tom come and dedicate him to the Lord this morning. Thank you, brother Tom. Amen. It's a supernatural gospel we serve. And for me, it's a great honor and a privilege to be able to dedicate this little jewel to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the family on both sides here today. Uh, would they rise, please? Amen. And I, you know, every every dedication is different. Every dedication is different. I love this young man, and I love this couple. Um, I say too much. But who in this assembly has been affected by the ministry that this young man has grown up within our church? Why don't you just stand? Why don't you stand? I want them to see. I want them to see. Isn't that? that, Look around the room. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Now, I, I, you know, Brother Ryan has given untold hours. Sister Yelena has not had a husband for those untold hours. But I'll tell you one thing, Glory, she can have a crown. She can have a crown for what you have allowed within your home so that your husband can minister to this bride. And Jelena, we love you dearly, and God bless you. This morning, we are dedicating a precious young man, Samuel Jaron Hayes. 
And the scripture, Brother Ryan, as you have so wonderfully spoken with Brother Wayne being with us. The Bible says in Isaiah 65 and 24, And it shall come to pass before you call. I will answer. And while you are yet speaking, I will hear. And so I don't believe this baby is just your baby. It's our babies. We prayed. We looked to the Lord. We're thankful that God gave you a full term. And you have this lovely boy called Samuel this morning. Elaine. Samuel, of course, is a wonderful name. As all names are, are wonderful out of the scripture. Samuel's Hebrew interpreted God's heard before he called. It means also the name of God. Samuel, I looked a little, I just, I think, I did a little research, Brother Ryan. Samuel is identified with a name that has heart and conviction. Meaning a strong leader. A man with a backbone. Standing up for that which is right. That's a dying breed in this generation. We got a waffle generation. But there is a people that will stand for right. And I believe he's named rightly. Samuel is a man that has backbone. Standing up for which is right. And it doesn't say just right at that time it means he will stand right for time after time after time he's strong he's resilient and he's ready to give his all each day and I thought what a name to have to have a mother and a father that have given their all and now they have a child name that will give their all for the gospel of Jesus Christ I say, God knows how to name a child. Jaron. Hebrew. Obviously, that is the right name. You don't even know what it means. Jaron. He will sing. Prophesy again to the winds. He will sing, and it means one who will show praises, one who exalts the God of glory. We are thankful this morning that we've been able to have Brother Wayne Lawson here, who preached under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that was led by the Spirit of God himself. And thus quickened, God used him to quicken the heart within Brother Ryan and Sister Elena. And I'm happy and thrilled and privileged to have a man of God to stand here with us as we dedicate this child this morning.
position for a miracle. Lord, it was spoken, Lord, and there we stand this morning and hold it in our hands, oh God. We see the flesh of it, Lord, as you have brought your word into a visible image. And we thank you for it, Lord. We ask that you would bless him this morning. May you bless him as family, Lord. Father, may you be with him all the days of his life, Lord. We're asking you for your mercy this day. Lord, we honor you and praise you for this life, and we dedicate it back to you this morning, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we thank you for the Father. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. We've certainly tasted of the goodness of God. We're just going to call the choir now. I get to have them come sing the same song we sang after we gave the testimony, I Speak Jesus. So if you sang with us, go ahead and come on up, and we're going to turn the service directly to the ministering of the word after that. actually hadn't planned this to work out this way, but I'd come prepared to sing, practice this song on uh, Friday morning with the choir, and Brother David pulled me aside Thursday night and said he might have a song that he wanted us to sing, and I said, well, what is that song? He's like, well, I'll let you know. I'm like, or you could let me know now. That would be <laughs> he says, it's one you know, and I said, is it I Speak Jesus? And he said, yes. I'm like, I we're already practicing it the morning before the service, so we were already prepared for that and hadn't planned to sing it again this morning, but a number had asked, and then it just worked out to be very fitting. 
Um, I, I absolutely love the words, especially to the bridge. I'll shout Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name of Jesus. So may it be a blessing to you. Amen. Once again.
sense the presence of God right now, I'd run to the altar. I'd run to the altar. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. But I, I, I publicly, I publicly want to thank God and, and I publicly want to thank our precious pastor, Brother Ed Biscoff, this morning. Hallelujah. You should be on your feet. You should be on your feet thanking God. That God would have a man of God of this caliber. We got this camp because of one vision. He had a vision for you and your children and your children's children. And I said, praise Jesus. People don't want that kind of leadership. I'll take it anyway. I want to 
thank Brother Visco and Sister Visco from the depths of my soul. You have laid down a foundation for the church of God. If God should tarry, to continue on. We're not a bunch of moss-backed Christians. We're born-again believers of the word of the living God. Brother Biscoll has, has sent this message around the world. But it's no good to go around the world unless you can do it at home. If you, if you get missionary in your backyard, there's a problem. And I say, praise God. He ministered to the backyard. And I'm a backyard son of God. Amen. Caliber of men. We have Brother Brian. Erickson here. And he'll never know what he means to me. Sister Lucille, what you did for me, Sister Joanne, will never be forgotten. We were in meetings and we heard Brother Biscoll had a heart attack. Brother, Brother Brian moved mountains to get Joanne and I home so that I could be with a man of God that I've loved dearly. And I want to thank you publicly, Brother Brian and Sister Lucille, for your life in Jesus. And you don't get that kind of caliber unless you're your daddy. I love your daddy, Brother Ray Erickson, pastor, true word tabernacle. You can't get a stronger name than that. He's the... If you ever want to meet a prince, you go get a uh, ticket, an airline ticket. You go to oh, Buffton, Ohio, and you go to True Word Tabernacle, and you will see a wonderful church birthed by a wonderful man of God. God bless Brother Ray Erickson. Amen. And I think Brother Wayne Lawson would... would, would Come at our invitation and be here with us and assisting Brother Ray Erickson, the quality and the caliber and the love of the word. I love you, Brother Wayne. I thank God for what he's done for you and your family. And we want you to have the pulpit. We want you to preach whatever God's on, on your God put on your heart. And we're here. I, I, it's our camp, right? I know everybody's worried about lunch. I'm worried about nothing. I tell you what, I thought I was going to be raptured. And I have, I've had people come to me all through camp. Why are we here? Why are we here? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. But I want, I want Brother Wayne to understand from the depths of our heart our appreciation. That took years to do that. Didn't happen in a moment. It took the fire and hand of God. The shape of that you have this morning. So uh, I'm going to turn the pulpit over. I can thank, of course, we have a we have a G we have a G8 again. Don't we, Mike? Abigail and Michael, Marco and Sharon, Luis and Grace and Joel and Kim. Look at what we got. Tent raisers, <laughs> kingdom builders. We we don't build kings. But I want to thank you, Mike. I want to thank the team. It's all a team. It's all a team. Brothers and sisters, everything's a team. There's no one man here. It could not happen unless the whole body moved. Marilyn, hardly ever recognized. That little sister 
in the heat, painting and doing her thing. I want to auction off half the backdrops that she's painted. I'll tell you what, they're going to be worth thousands of gotcha Terry. Because it's always worth more. But we're going together, Marilyn. Thank you. Thank you for your love. I just love Bob this morning. I love what he's doing in your lives. I've seen young men come out of their shells. Families coming together. I want to shout the glory to God, but I don't want to preach. There's a preacher here, and I, I just want to let him go. But I want to sing Jesus one more time. Is that okay? And then we'll give Brother Wayne the pulpit. God bless you all.
and God has rewarded him. You know, I uh, I want to greet him personally this morning as well and say, God bless you, Brother Ed. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here today and to be a part of these lovely meetings. Uh, you that have been with Brother Bisco for years, of course, amen, you, you know the level of ministry that God gave him. And uh, he has been a tremendous blessing to the men of God that has followed behind him, breaking barriers and bringing revelation and understanding and speaking things with a, with plainness and with authority. And uh, the thing Brother Biscoll has been for me personally is I never heard him speak one negative word concerning this message. He's lifted it as high as anyone could lift anything. And God has blessed him for that. And he's, he's lifted it in the heart of many people. And uh, I, I want to thank him this morning for his contribution into our life. And he done it from a distance. And you all shared him. And he came to Ruth meetings. And he came to Tennessee meetings. And he spoke these around the world and these recorded sermons. And, uh, and we've been a benefactor of those things. And we want to thank God for him. And we want to give him honor this morning. Uh, we certainly appreciate him. I do bring you greetings from our pastor, Brother Erickson, the True Word Tabernacle. And certainly thank Brother Brian and Sister Lucille for coming so far to support us. And Brother, Brother uh, Brian's one of our deacons there. He's, uh, I don't know how to explain him other than that he's a rock. Uh, you, you, I know you probably have him here, but he's one of those corner posts that's just a pillar in the house of God. And we thank the Lord for him. Uh, we sure appreciate Sister Carissa with us this morning. and Amen. For her traveling with us. Thank you, Brother Tom, for all the warm things and the greetings. And thank you. Amen. Uh, we want to bow our hearts this morning for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so honored. To be able to speak to this people, Lord. and Father, the ones that are here are the ones that will hear it through the sermons on the line. And I pray, Father, that the words that we have spoken, Lord, that they would be words, Lord, that would bring value and character. And Lord, it would exalt you in the heart of the people. And Lord, you have let us speak to what is the most precious thing there is. The purchase of your own blood. And Lord, as I speak to them this morning, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would put things in our heart and our mind to help us, to, Lord, to speak to them in a way that will bring them, Lord, closer to you. And Lord Jesus, you've placed these things on our heart, and I just ask that you would lead us in a way that would be a benefit to these people. And Lord, we commit this meeting into your hand. We commit this service to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you today. If you have your Bibles, we would like to look in the book of Daniel. And uh, I want to look at Daniel chapter 2. We want to look in the 44th verse. 
and in the days of these kings. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms in it shall stand forever. Let's just ask the Lord to bless his word as you could be seated this morning. I, I want to speak to you just a little bit today uh, as, as I would speak about uh, the, the coming this morning of that great stone. And uh, we're, we're going to be speaking to you about the authority of this word. The authority of this word. Uh, I have just read from you from the book of Daniel. And of course the book of Daniel is a very is a very powerful book. It's the Old Testament book of Revelations. And in it is so many things that have been laid there in symbol form and put in different things. But in the last days, uh, we are told that the scripture would be, the symbols would come off of the scripture and that we would be able to read it and it would become plain to us. And, and we're living in that season now. Now, in a reading of this in the book of Daniel, we are we are actually reading about a time when the children of Israel from Judah and Jerusalem have been carried away into Babylon. They have left their homes. Their temple has been destroyed. They've been carried down. And God has allowed this because of the idolatry. Now, the prophet tells us uh, in the book of Jeremiah, before the people ever left Israel, God had already planned their return. And when God had planned their return, he spoke of the children of Israel going into the land of Babylon where they would stay 70 years. Now, it was during this 70 years is where uh, Daniel is being written and Daniel is writing from Babylon. And this is uh, at a season of time. You read about the Hebrew children. You read about Daniel. Uh, these are This is the time period of when the children of Israel have been carried away in Babylon and they're there living. Now, uh, of course, this is a season when Daniel is receiving instruction from God and the, and the king, a man of the kingdom that he now lives in, thinks, of course, his kingdom will last forever. But God gives the king a dream. How many knows the king's dream of Daniel chapter 2? God gives the king a dream, and in this dream, a king sees an image with four different levels. And in that, in that dream, as he, as he would see it, uh, it's a very troubling dream to him. And he's so troubled by this dream that he asked all of his people to come, like his wise men, and he wants the uh, priest, and he wants all the sorcerers, and he wants everybody that's supposed to be spiritual. He wants them to come to him because he's troubled with this dream. And he says to them, tell me this dream. I, I pray you tell me this dream. Now, you can see the, the irony in this because the, all of the wise men say to the king, they said, well, if you tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation thereof. Now, the king is not going to play into this at all. But rather, the king says, he says to them, he says, look, he said, I'm not going to tell you the dream so you can tell me an interpretation. He said, but if you could really know the interpretation of this dream, you'd be able to tell me the dream and the interpretation. 
The scripture records that the that all of the wise men of that day actually comes back to the king and they said, Lord, this is a rare thing the king requires and there is none that can show it before the king except the gods who are dwelling in, but they're not in flesh. And for this king was angry and furious and commanded to destroy all of the wise of Babylon. Now can you imagine, because these men couldn't see this, amen, that now they're all going to be destroyed. They're all going to die unless someone can know the mystery of the dream that this king has had. In other words, everything had come to an end. All, all of their abilities, all of their learning. Everything that they had done to educate themselves, to promote themselves, all the people that thought they were great and everybody that was looking to them, when this period of time come, it brought an end to all of it because actually all of it was something that was just building man up to other men. But when it took the supernatural hand of God to open the mystery, none of them could step up to the plate. But the scripture tells us, amen, that, that the, the word got to Daniel that everybody was going to die. So Daniel goes to his God and he begins to pray and he asks the Lord for the interpretation thereof. And the scriptures let us know that God gives him the interpretation of the dream and actually shows him the dream. And when he goes back to the king, he, he begins to talk to the king and begins to describe the dream that he has. Now, the beauty of this is, is that it took a mystery, amen, to unveil who the true prophet was in that generation. See, as long as you have symbols and somebody can say, well, this means this and this means that and this means this. Well, that's all good and dandy. But when you come to a place where there's no symbols given, there has to be somebody to tell you what it is and then tell you what the symbol means. Now you can see why the Bible said when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence in heaven. Now, God had something in mind, but he wouldn't give away any symbol on it. He wouldn't tell all of the theologians anything about it because he was going to keep it a secret until the one would come who would tell you what the seventh seal is and then he would tell you how to understand that seventh seal now, the bible actually tells us in the book of malachi it tells us unless elijah would come the whole earth is going to perish now we could tell you, uh, I could take a little while in this dream, I'm not going to. We asked them to bring a, an image actually, uh, so that we could, we could show you, uh, an image and save ourselves a bunch of words. Amen. So can we bring that image up of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? It's the, it's the statue. And what you're looking at here is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had drawn out in a picture. I want to thank Brother Ronnie Malevo. I borrowed this from him. <laughs> Amen. God bless you, Brother Ronnie. But what you're looking at is, is the very dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel explains to him. You see here, beginning in the top of the head was the king who was Nebuchadnezzar that time over the Babylonian kingdom. And then you see it move from the kingdom of Babylon to the Medo-Persians, which was the kingdom prophesied in the book of Isaiah that Sirius would rise up and restore Jerusalem. Then we see it change from the Medo-Persian to the Grecians. There's your Alexander the Great. And then after Alexander the Great, there would come the Roman Empire. And then after the Roman Empire, they would become a divided kingdom in the Bible, it's a mystery of what that divided kingdom is. Amen. But you see, Brother Ronnie went ahead and put on what it was. 
Now what you're looking at here is an image of the kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw. And Daniel sees this and begins to tell the king exactly who's going to follow him in line of ruling the world. Now when we say ruling the world, that was the known world. It would be like Europe is today would have been the known world. And Babylon was ruling the entire thing. And in his arrogance, he thought he would always rule. But Jeremiah had already prophesied, amen, that would come an end to his kingdom because before the children of Israel ever went to Babylon, God has already said, I'm going to bring you out and I'm going to raise up another kingdom that will release you. Now, in case you're, in case you're wondering why I'm here, do you recognize that in the end time, a spiritual Babylon is where the church of the living God had been captured, amen, and had been taken into captivity? But before they ever left, Paul tells us they would go into this this kind of captivity. But in the book of Malachi, the Bible says that in the days of the voice or in the days of Elijah, that God would restore the church to its former glory, which is in the book of Revelations, we would come out of Babylon. Now, coming out of Babylon today is not coming out of a city. It's coming out of confusion. You ever notice why that the prophet never said, come out of Baptist or come out of Lutheran or never said, come out of Catholic. He said, come out of confusion. Because anything that's not the clear word of God is a confusion. And it doesn't have to have a certain name of denomination. But when God came in this age, he brought a clear revelation that would call the church in out of confusion. Now, if we see this Babylonian kingdom is going to turn to the medium Persians. Do you recognize that these are the ruling kingdoms of the world? From the time of Daniel to the day we're living right now. In the book of Daniel, 2,500 years ago, God was showing who would rule the entire world. Let me say this. God is not on nerve pills this morning wondering how this is going to happen. God is not nervous sitting there right now wondering how all of this is going to play out. Who's going to rule and what kingdoms are going to be set up and where's people going to be in all? 2,500 years ago, he was already telling us exactly where every kingdom would fit and who would be the rulers of those kingdoms and how one would follow the other. Do you recognize you read in your books, you read in your history stories, you read about how the Alexander the Great rose up and remember, it's like he come out of nowhere and conquered the entire known world. It was because God already said that he would do this. Amen. It was no mystery to them when Rome rose up and conquered the world because God showed what was going to happen. Now I'm showing you this for a reason to let you know that your God is in full control not only of you but this entire world. Our God is still God of creation. Amen. And if something is happening it's only because God allows it to happen to fulfill his prophecy. Amen. You're seeing here the Babylonian Empire. Now when you begin to read this. Of course you can see what Daniel is talking about. You can see the image. It moves from something valuable. To something less valuable. It starts at its greatest in the head. And continually gets harder. And less valuable. Amen. And the prophet God says because it starts in the head and goes to the feet. He says it's top heavy and it proves it will never stand. 
This kingdom of the world will never stand. Amen. But there's another kingdom. And when Peter draws out the statue of the perfect man in 2 Peter chapter 1, he starts with a wide bottom and shows the church of the living God starts wide on the bottom and narrows up to the top until they get to the capstone. So where one will not stand, there's another kingdom who cannot fall. One that's built to a place that it will not fall. Now what we're viewing here is you're viewing this kingdom and how that it would go and it would become less valuable. It would become harder. Now God knows who's in control. That kingdom will be falling and another kingdom rising. Now when you start looking into this, you can also watch Daniel the second chapter. And you see it as a dream. On one side of the picture you see this Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his image. That is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. On the other side of that picture, you're looking at Daniel, the seventh chapter, when God shows Daniel in vision the kingdoms of the world. He does not show it as an image of men. He shows it in powers. Sometimes when you read Daniel 7, it's almost confusing because it's talking about all these leopards and lions and locusts, and, and, and he's describing them. You see the pictures here. They've done a good job drawing them. But what God showed Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 He showed to Daniel in vision in Daniel 7. Now what you're looking at is an actual vision. This, this, how many knows that Daniel and John saw the same things? Daniel and John saw the same things. But when Daniel sees these kingdoms in Daniel 7, he sees them all separate creatures. See how there's four of them here. But when you turn to Revelations, the 13th chapter, And you begin to read Revelation 13. You'll see that John saw the same thing. But he saw them all together. When you read Revelation 13 and 1. The Bible said he stood upon the sand. And see and the beast rose up out of the sea. Having seven heads. Watch them images. Seven heads. Ten horns. And upon his ten horns are ten crowns. Upon his name blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened unto a leopard. His feet was the feet of a bear. His mouth was the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power. And his seat, great authority. So you're seeing all of these creatures are coming together in one power in the last day. It's a collective kingdom that comes in the last days which speaks of Rome. Now, if you if you watch this image, you're seeing how that it's at, to the Roman Empire. And at, at, when the legs separate... You see that there is a divided kingdom. Now, you that have studied the kingdoms of the world in history, you see this is when Rome was ruling what we know as Europe. When Rome was ruling it, they were constantly conquering countries. And, 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 and I'll tell you something like this. Have you ever heard somebody say they got, they got too many uh, pokers in the fire? They got too many irons in the fire? The Roman kingdom, they got more countries than they could say grace over. What they've done is they, they captured all these countries... And they didn't have the ability to keep each one of them under the authority of one position in Rome. So all of a sudden they realized we're no longer to hold this together. So it began to divide into two parts. It began to divide in an eastern Rome and a western Rome. And Europe divided into these, into these separate places. And when they did, everybody in the history of the world thinks that Rome stopped being the world power at that time. But if you read the book of Revelations, the 13th chapter, you'll watch how that the Bible says that Rome suffered a deadly wound. 
Right? But that deadly wound was healed and it rose again. The prophet of God said, watch. This is when pagan Rome turned and became papal Rome and Constantine brought an idea to Rome and he said look I can keep us all together and we can rule the world let them have their own kings let them have their own countries but we will do it through religion and Constantine brought a cross and said by this cross we will rule the world and that's when he began to take over and Constantine took over the entire thing so today these two legs separated in the eastern and western world now there's a lot of people think that Russia's going to rule the world and Russia's going to take over and Russia's going to do this can I, can I put this very clearly to you Russia will not rule the world The Bible said Rome will rule the world. Amen. What is it? It's Rome has the Bible said that that these two legs separated. So you have an eastern and a western. And with these legs, there's ten toes that come out upon these legs. And those ten toes represent countries. Now, the scriptures are clear. It says that the iron of the kingdom of Rome will run through to the toes of this image. In other words, to us, what that means is even though we have the United States of America, we have it with its own court, its own president, Rome will run its power right into our our system of government. It runs right into the Russian system of government. Rome, amen, what we do don't mean a thing to Rome. But when Rome makes a decision, it affects every country in this world and every power is under the influence of Rome. Their strength runs through every kingdom upon the earth. Now I'm saying that to you as thus saith the Lord. But the prophet of God says to us, of course, he said, watch how that it runs out into those legs. Can I, can I just, uh, I, I'm just going to say some things plain to you. What is actually it's talking about is Rome is in control. Rome has two different religions. Y'all know that? It has Roman Catholicism and it has Protestants. And the Protestants think that there's something different than Rome. But Rome controls the Catholics and the Protestants. According to Revelation 17, she's the mother whore. And the Protestants are her daughters or the image to the great beast of Rome. So it runs down in them. Now, there's a point behind all this. Amen. And it runs down in them into their toes. So right now, amen, Rome has, to you Americans, it's a powerful thing. Amen. Because we think, amen, that we have this Republican and Democrat. And we think there's conservatives and there's liberals. Rome controls both of them. Rome is controlling the whole thing. So, so we have this conservative, we have these conservative people now, and, and they're always projecting out these ideas of how this conservative issues, and I, I probably shouldn't call the news stations, but we have these great, great uh, leaders in the conservative world. If you would check the background, you're going to find out that those are Catholic people. 
And those are Catholic radio stations. And those are Catholic TV stations. And in the middle of COVID, they were playing mass on Fox News, who's supposed to be the greatest conservative station that we have in America. But they were having mass on the news itself. Now, why were they doing that? Because they're trying to get your mind thinking about something besides what's really going on. Satan is a master deceiver, friend. And he's pointing the whole world. Look at Russia. Look at Russia. Look at, it's going to rule the world. And then he's got another group. Look over here. Look, look at this bamboo curtain. China, communism. Look what it's going to do. Look how it's going to raise up. But we've had a prophet among us. And he said, don't worry about the iron curtain. Don't you worry about the bamboo curtain. You watch that purple curtain. You watch that purple curtain. Now I want you to see something powerful because Rome has already took over the United States of America and not fired one shot to do it. You say, preacher, you really believe that? Let me show it to you. I'll show it to you clearly. Amen. We just had a woman president sworn in the other day that William, or a woman vice president that is sworn in the other day and William Branham announced that woman would be sworn in as a president or a vice president and she would be wearing royal purple when it happened. Now I want you to watch something. And so when Brother Branham says this, he comes back. He said, I can't tell by the vision if it was an actual woman or it was the Catholic Church. Does he say it like that? Sure he does. But when it happened, it was exactly both at the same time. The woman is swearing in in the royal purple, but standing next to her is the first Catholic president since J.F. Kennedy. We now have a woman as a vice president. We have a Catholic as the president, and five of the seven of the Supreme Court are Roman Catholic. Rome controls United States of America. The Bible said it would, and it does. You say, well, preacher, what does that matter? It don't matter nothing right now because there's a bride on the earth. And as long as this bride is here, Rome can't do nothing. But the moment this bride leaves. Now, what is it? Amen. This is running through every one of them. When you see this, you see, amen, that these toasts. Somebody say, well, Brother Wayne, that's way in the future. Brother Branham, Brother Branham, now, amen. If I was sitting here, I'm wearing my shoes. I got ten toes. You know that, right? But if I took my shoe off, it would reveal my toes, wouldn't it? Now, in, these, in, these, in this image, there's ten toes. Do you know that when William Branham was on the earth, they had a convention between the eastern and western world, and there were two of the great leaders in there named Eisenhower and Khrushchev. The prophet of God said Eisenhower was iron, And Khrushchev was clay, which are the two things that are mentioned that will be in the feet of this great image Nebuchadnezzar saw 2,500 years ago. They were not in their own countries. They were together in the same place at the same time. And you remember the story. You can go Google it if you want to. Go ask Google it. It really tells the truth about this because it don't know what it's talking about. Amen. If it knew what we were preaching from it, they probably wouldn't tell it. Amen. But what happened is Khrushchev gets angry and he pulls off his shoe. 
revealing the feet. He literally pulls off the shoe and gets angry and beats the shoe on the platform while he's, while he's disagreeing with that eastern country, with that western country. Now you say, what's it? Now, let me ask you something. When is the last time you saw the politician get angry in a meeting and beat their shoe on the platform? We've seen them throw books. We've seen them hit their hand. We've hollered holler at the media. But I have never in my lifetime saw a man, a news station running a clip with a politician with a shoe in his hand smacking the desk. But in the days when a prophet was upon the earth, amen, that man did that. His name was Clay. And God revealed the big toes of the feet that was of the image of Daniel. Ten toes, right? The big toes has a name. You know what those big toes names are? Khrushchev and Eisenhower. The prophet of God said the big toes on that image is Khrushchev and Eisenhower. Now, it matters because these men are representing kingdoms. Can we see that? Amen. That they're representing. So, amen. What it is, is it's representing something to us that we are at the end. That's what it's telling us. We are at the end. But the prophet tells us, if you watch, he says, amen, that these men represent something in this vision. So now we're seeing that human beings are representing symbols in the scriptures. Right? Now, the beautiful thing is, is if, if this is the end of the entire world, if we are living in the end of all things, don't you believe that God would send a prophet? Come on now. Amen. In the Bible, it said God would do nothing till he sent a prophet. When God got ready to put a king, he would send a prophet to anoint him. When God got ready to reveal the Messiah, he sent a prophet to do so. How do we think that we have come to the end of the entire world and God would put a prophet on the earth? So if you watch Daniel's vision, he said, I watched it until a stone was hewed out of the mountain and come rolling down into this image. Now look at the beauty of this, this stone hewed out of this mountain. If the toes represented something, that stone represents something. That stone was representing that God was sending the revelation of the capstone into the church at the time of the end, which would take us out of the kingdoms of the world, that we would not be a part of this kingdom. Now look at this, when this prophet does this, amen, I want to focus on this just for a moment, amen, is that whenever this stone begins to come, Brother Branham said the stone will strike at the time of those kings. It will strike at the time of those kings. Now, in the 70th week of Daniel, Brother Bram says, now, you don't need to miss this. And then he comes down and begins to talk to us about this stone that Daniel saw and calls it a headstone. In calling it a headstone, he said, now, remember, he said that headstone wasn't on yet when they shaped up the church. He said exactly the pyramid to fit to the headstone. The headstone never did come. Can we get the next picture? When Brother Branham begins to talk about the image of the church and the lack of the pyramid, he's talking about this pyramid here, which is coming from Second Peter chapter 1. And you see how that he describes the building of the church as he describes the building of a pyramid. He begins with faith and he goes all the way to brotherly kindness and then he caps the entire thing with divine love. 
Now, if you, if you look at that divine love, you can see it would be an easy one by the name of a token. It would be divine love. But you can see how God builds from the bottom and then comes to the top. So he builds the church under the power of God until it can come to a capstone. Now, Brother Bram said, back there in those days, the capstone was rejected. It never was set on. That capstone never came. That very one they rejected through the church ages is Christ. He said, and Christ was cut and put as a biker or son of God or some great dignitary in the church. But he's the Holy Spirit and the cap of the pyramid will be the coming of Christ. The capping of this church is the coming of the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Come on, church. Amen. We know Azusa Street didn't cap us off. But God was going to descend upon a church that had been built up from faith all the way. And he would cap off the church by himself or in the presence of himself. I hope I hadn't lost you this morning. Are you with me? Then this pyramid has been built up and Daniel watched it until that stone came. He said he never had put a stone up in that pyramid. What is it? It's the coming of that stone. 70th weeks, 1961. Brother Bram said Christ is that stone. He was born of a man. He was born of God. He wasn't born of man. He's born of God. He's coming for a church that's been reborn again by the Spirit of God. The strength of the headstone will run all the way through this church like a magnet. The strength of this headstone will run all the way through the church like a magnet. I started this series of services out with that the wise shall know their God and they shall be strong and do great exploits. The strength that has come into this bride is the very stone himself and it's running into every member of this body. Listen, there's not a weak part in the body of Jesus Christ. My Bible said that he said all power in heaven and earth was given unto me. Brother Bram said he's an omnipotent God and if you've got God in you this morning, then omnipotence is in every believer that is sitting here in this church. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the very God that created the heavens and the earth is setting on the inside of you this morning and the same power of the great capstone is already in the church by the baptism of the Holy Ghost God has capped off this bride with himself brother that headstone is the Holy Ghost direct quote the headstone is the Holy Ghost now when you start reading this it's amazing because when you, 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 you can start watching prophecies fit together. And you can see the book of Daniel. Amen. And when you see this, all this happening, Daniel is getting ready to leave Babylon. His people's getting ready to leave Babylon. Do y'all know that they go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the second temple? The end of 70 years, and they get ready to go back and build the second temple. But there's nothing left of the, of the first temple. That's not a stone upon another. Stones are scattered. The, the landmarks are done. They've been burned over, scattered. Everything was there. Oh, my. But it doesn't record in the Scripture that they had to recut the stones. But it does record in the Scripture that God calls a man by the name of Zerubbabel from the book of Zechariah. And he said, I have anointed this man to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of God. Can you imagine being Israel? No place to worship. 
No place to have sacrifice. The Bible said when they went into Babylon, they hung their harps up upon the trees and they wouldn't even worship because they didn't have a place for atonement. They didn't have true worship. They had no place to, to really to, to come to their God. And for 70 years they lived in this condition. But God prophesied through Zechariah that at the end of the Babylonian kingdom, I will send a man named Zerubbabel and he will rebuild the temple of God to its original order. Now y'all know y'all know Zechariah 4 very well and the Bible actually says amen that God would come and rebuild the temple he said and when you see this Zerubbabel he said the people begin to shout because they knew when he had the plummet in his hand that he wouldn't quit until the thing would be finished. They knew when Zerubbabel started when his ministry was over they would have a foundation they would have a building and they would have a capstone on their building. Oh church of the living God Amen. There is coming a ministry in the last days the prophet of God said which would be a Zerubbabel ministry who would rebuild the church of God back to its former state of glory when Zerubbabel comes he will lay the foundation he will build the house and he will set the capstone he will restore order back to a place of worship now I'm saying that because brother Branham in the message of grace he'll say this this Zerubbabel was a great prince who laid the foundation of the building and I want to put on your spiritual anointing jacket this morning this grace prince determined to rebuild the house of the Lord and when he did he laid the foundation stone we read further that Zerubbabel laid his foundation with his hands And he also brought forth the headstone. I want you to notice, not the corner, he brought the head. Now, Brother Branham will tell us again, message of grace. We know the scripture that Jesus is the corner and he's also the head. And if we think for a few minutes, the seventh messenger was to restore the faith of the children back to the fathers. In other words, rebuild the church again under the power of the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now what is it? Brother Bram said, according to the prophecy, there will come the headstone. My goodness, I want you to notice when the headstone comes, that's when this prince cried out, grace, grace, under the headstone. Now I, I, I tell you what, I, I think I thank God for a prophet. Because that sounds like he's just talking about Zechariah the fourth chapter. But he's bringing it up into our day. Amen. When God brings an end to the Babylonian system. And a group of people are coming out of denomination. How are we going to worship God? How are we going to know what to do? How are we going to know what to do? But God sent a messenger. Amen. To rebuild the tabernacle of God. And we could take our hearts off of the trees. We could take our psalms and begin to sing them. And we would come back to a true atonement. God gave us this kind of a message. So that we would be able to have... Amen. Grace back in our lives in this time of the headstone. Now, if you like to pay attention to little things, it's called the message of grace. And Brother Bram is talking about a ministry that cries, grace, grace. Of course, he's pointing to himself as the Zerubbabel of the age. Now, um, are we together? In Revelation, the fifth chapter, we see this same ministry... A man that was the ministry of Zerubbabel, 
But we see it in the spiritual realm take place in Revelation chapter 5. We see this in 1963 when the seven seals are going to come open. And we find Brother Branham coming to a message called the breach. And he's talking about bridging the gap between God and the people. He's talking about something has got to take the church and their God and put it back together again. Some ministry has to make a union between you and God so you're not two anymore. You can become one working under one headstone. Now you can see it that Zerubbabel would bring forth the headstone. Now let's go read here. Amen. Let's read here in the scripture. Amen. Uh, in Revelation, the fifth chapter, you're reading about John who wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book or to loose the seven seals thereof. And one of the elders saith unto him, Weep not. The lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open this book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Amen. The Bible tells us, amen, that this, this ministry was actually saying that there was somebody worthy to take this book. Now, when this happens, it's in the breach, 1963. A prophet is standing on the platform. He has made the appeal to the church that there is nothing that's been able to open this book. John has looked through the church ages, and there's been nobody open this book. Now he's in Revelation 5 saying, if we don't get somebody to open this book, everything is lost. William Branham is preaching this, and he brings it up to this point. Either we got to have somebody to do it or we're going to perish. we got to have somebody to do it or everything is lost. And while he's doing this, he literally says, Now he that is worthy to open the book and take the seals. Who is able to open these seals? The angel asked and John said and said, No one's worthy. He said, My, but maybe I'm feeling this way. Let him, here's the book of redemption, here's the plan of redemption, here's the only way to be redeemed, the title deed of redemption of the whole heavens and earth, let him come forward now if he will. Let him speak or forever hold his peace. Here's a prophet standing on the platform saying, we're finished unless somebody can do this. But here is a ministry on the earth. That can invite someone to the platform. That can take the entire book. And open the thing. I tell you the greatest scriptures in the Bible comes the next. And he came and took the book. Amen. A prophet wasn't just standing there by himself. There was another angel on the platform. There was somebody who could open the book. I wish I was a better preacher. I'll tell you this. When Zerubbabel went to build that house. Do you all know what he did? He took somebody with him. Read Zechariah 4. It said he took Joshua with him. You read it? You got two men coming down, and they're going to rebuild the temple, and they're going to set the capstone on. There's two of them, isn't it? Amen. That Joshua, his name is Jesus in the English. But when it happens in the last days, amen, this Zerubbabel doesn't have a second person on the platform that you can see but this Jesus that was with Zerubbabel was hid inside the veil of humanity come on church amen it's your own pastor brother Bisco that, that, that gave this to us years ago he said when John was standing in the water he said Jesus walked out in the water with John and the word met the prophet in the water 
You've heard Brother Red talk about it. And he said, watch this. John introduced Jesus standing beside him. But in the last days, William Branham introduced Jesus as Elijah. But he done it by introducing the spirit that Jesus Christ was in the people. You didn't see two of them here, but there were two of them there. You wasn't seeing two at the platform. But William Branham was inviting someone there that could put this all together. What is it? Hey man, it was two of them there. Hey man, that's why Brother Branham said his ministry is different. It's to declare him that he is here. Hey man, what is it? It was God. It was God the same. He was bringing forth the headstone. Brother Branham will tell us this, that the word itself is bringing forth the headstone. By my spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah 4 said, by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now, Brother Branham said we couldn't have had a chance as a poor unlearned people. But it doesn't take knowledge. It's not by power, by might, but by my spirit. I'll unfold this mystery and cry grace, grace to it. Shouting grace, grace. I want you to hear the importance of that statement. By his spirit, I will unfold this mystery. And he's saying here the whole time, when the capstone comes, (laughs) when the capstone comes, he'll cry grace, grace to it. But now he says, when the mystery's unfolded, we'll cry grace, grace to it. He's showing you by the opening of the word, he is bringing the headship of the body into the church. He's bringing the word that will rule you into the church. Now, of course, many people look at these stones, they think a lot of things. But I'll tell you this, this stone I'm talking about is not granite. The stone I'm talking about is not granite. This stone, according to Peter, is a living stone. In the book of Peter, he says it's the stone the builders disallow. Amen. In the book of of Corinthians, Paul said it's a spiritual rock. Right? In Romans, the ninth chapter, Paul speaks of this in the 32nd verse and said, Wherefore, because thou sought it not by faith, as they were by the larks of the law, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. And it is written, Behold... I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever shall believe it upon him shall not be ashamed. Now, in sharing that with you, that has great relevance to our day. When Brother Branham in 1962 had a vision of seven angels, how many of y'all know about the vision? In vision, you can read it in the fall of 1962. Brother Branham goes into his room And seven angels come in there, and they lift him up. And in there, he has this great blast, and he has this experience with these seven angels. And while he's doing this, he comes back to himself and begins to pray. And he said, Lord, if this means my death, let your spirit come back in the room. He said, nothing happened. He said, if this means a furtherment of my ministry, let your spirit come in the room. He said, it almost packed me out of the room. He said, and about a half hour later, I came to myself, and I was reading Romans, the ninth chapter, and it was written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth upon him shall not be shamed. Those, those angels coming to the prophet was the ministry that was opening those seven seals over the church. When he 
takes this Revelations, the 10th chapter, he's showing you that it's Romans, the 9th chapter, coming to pass in Revelations, the 10th chapter. Now, y'all, we speak on Revelations 10 last night quite, uh, quite extensively about that white wig one coming down. When we talked about this, Brother Branham actually ties together something very important. When you read uh, Revelations 10, go back and read that first verse again in Revelations 10 and watch what happens. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his feet were as the sun, as, uh, and, and his face as the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. Now watch. Because now it's tying together two very important things from the book of Daniel. From the book of Daniel, the second chapter, you're seeing the stone that was smiting the image is the revelation coming from an open book. But there's another image in Daniel 7. You saw all of those beasts together in Revelation 13. But in Daniel 7, instead of a stone striking to end the kingdoms, it says that there was the ancient of days that brought an end to the kingdoms. Can we get that picture right quick again of that great cloud? Amen. And so when a prophet, amen, has this picture taken, he identifies this picture as the ancient of days from Daniel, the seventh chapter. So the seven seals being opened and this picture appearing at the same time is telling us that Daniel the second chapter and Daniel the seventh chapter is putting us at a time at the ending of denominational ages. Now I think it's important you have to, you've got to catch something as young people. The denominational ages has finished. They're finished. What what the Baptists think about you is finished. What the Lutheran thinks, finished. What the Roman church thinks is finished. There is nothing that matters at this time outside the headship of the message of the hour. It's the only voice of authority that is left in the house of God. It's the only one that is speaking. It is the Ancient of Days. Whose hair is like wool. Brother Bram said, I've seen it as the ancient of days. How many knows, how many, how many knows what this actually is? Amen. Brother Bram takes this picture. Amen. He brings it in. Amen. They take this picture in 1962 or 63 in the spring. And then he carries it. People's got it all the way to rising of the sun in 1965. And they're turning every which way, right? They're turning every which way and people seeing lions in there and they're seeing eagles in there and they're seeing a little bit of everything in there. But they're not looking at the whole picture. But when Brother Branham brings it out in the rising of the sun, he comes out, takes the picture. He said, we've been looking at it wrong. He said, the angel told me, turn it to the right. And when you look at it right, you're seeing Jesus Christ in supreme authority. If, if when you're looking at the message that we have, if you're just seeing prophet, If you're just seeing church, if you're just seeing laws, if you're just seeing organization, if you're just seeing tithe paying, you're not looking at it right. If you turn it to the right, a prophet has identified this is Jesus Christ in his supreme authority in the last day. Headship has come on this people that are sitting here. 
You might not think much of them. The world might not think much of them. But they are the place that the headship of Jesus Christ has chose to rest in this hour that we're living in. Christ himself has chosen them for his tabernacle. He's capped it off with his own presence. Amen. Look what the prophet of God says. See, he said, I wondered about it in Revelations, the first chapter. I actually called Jack Moore. Amen. I know you elders are very educated in this, so you can help me if you want to. Amen. But in Revelations, the first chapter, remember when John is seeing the vision? Now watch what happens. John said, now he's standing on the Isle of Patmos, and he said, I heard a voice as it was a trumpet behind me. He was caught up in the Lord's day, right? And what he seen in the Lord's day was he saw seven symbols of judgment. And the symbol of judgment was this white-wigged one who Brother Branham called theologians and asked him what it meant. And they, they couldn't really tell him what it meant. He said, but I walked into the bedroom the other day and there he was standing as a judge with a white wig on. Which showed me what it was in England. He said that they would take a man, amen, young men, old men, whoever they were. And when they set that wig on them, they would then, their words had authority. Then what they spoke carried weight because of the authority that was upon them. Brother Bram said, here Jesus is in supreme authority. The angels are his wig. There's too many types. I'm sorry, brother. Uh, there's too many types. But I can say this to you so you catch it. Hey, man, first pull was little birds. Second pull was bigger birds. Third pull was angels. The third pull is the supreme word of Almighty God. For years of Brother Ram's ministry under two pulls, he told you what you had in your hearts. He told everybody, you got this in your heart, you got this in your heart. The second pull was the discernment of the heart of man to prove that God knew what they were thinking. But the third pull, my brother, was the discernment of the heart of God. And we have now had a perfect interpretation what was on the mind of God when a prophet was upon the earth. That's the reason the head showed up. He was saying, this man is speaking for me. The church said this about you. The church said that about you. It don't matter what anybody says about you. What did the message say about you? It's the only thing that matters. This is the white-wigged one. This is the one that has complete and supreme, amen, authority. Brother Branham's, Brother Branham gives us a Brother Branham gives us a little bump right here. I tell you what, it makes you want to pick your chair up and run with it. He says it like this. He said, see, watch this white wig one, the dark face, his beard, his eyes. He said, from him comes the light shining on the right-hand side. He's looking to the cross. That's where he looked to the right where he pardoned the sinner in the light of his resurrection. Where he pardoned the sinner. This is the sign of judgment But he's not come to judge the bride. He's come to pardon the bride. Isn't it something that God has gathered up all of his judgment against Babylon? He's gathered up a judgment and a prophet. Look at how Brother Bram speaks about the denomination. Look at how he speaks about the different ideas of churchism. How he brings a curse on it. How he judges it. He calls them whores and harlots and prostitutes. and He says everything you could say about it. But when he turns to that bride and he starts speaking about the bride of Jesus Christ, it is a completely different way he talks about the bride than he does about the church 
because it was there where the thief was on the right. Now y'all remember this, the thief that was on the right at Calvary, that Jesus, the supreme deity, Jesus, the only one God, was hanging on the cross. And was a man on the left, there's a man on the right. It's a powerful story. The man on the, light, on the left thought because of the humble place Jesus was that he had lost his authority. He thought because he was rejected, he had no authority. He thought because the world was crucifying him, there was no authority left in him. And he said, well, he can't even save himself. How could he save us? But the one that was on the right had a different attitude. And when he looked at Jesus, he said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now, Brother Branham opens up the heart of that little fella. And he said, do you know what? He said, that boy had never even thought about God one time in his life. He had never offered a sacrifice. He had never went to the house of God. He had never come down and prayed at an altar. He never did anything religious in his life. But what he was doing was hanging next to supreme authority. He was hanging next to the divine grace of Almighty God. And when he recognized the authority he was in the presence of, he got put under that authority. And Jesus said, tomorrow you will be with me in paradise. Well, I tell you what, it's a blessing to me to think about it. He is the last one to come in the Old Testament. And we are the last ones to come in the New Testament. And the same one that was hanging on the cross crucified, amen, is the same one crucified in this age. But he still has the same authority that he had on that cross to pardon every man, woman, and child in this building. Do you know the Bible said that that 11th hour worker... Would get the same pay as the first hour worker. That man got the same pay as if he had done everything everybody else done. (laughs) Can I take you on a journey? Just as the man was dying, he appears in paradise. There's a revival going on down there. People are shouting everywhere in paradise. There's a revival going on. You know what the revival's about? Is John has just come in the door. And they had just been saying, John, are you the one we were looking for? And he said, no, I'm not him, but he's coming right behind me. He was hanging on the cross just a moment ago. And now I'm telling you that Christ is on his way. I forerun him on the earth. Now I forerun him down here in paradise. I'm telling all of y'all, get your shouting gear on. He's fishing to walk through the door just any moment. When this little fella come in the door... It was a shout meeting going on. He stepped, he stepped right in the middle of the revival of the coming of Christ to open prison doors. Woo, brother. He stepped right in the middle of that revival. He didn't grow up in the message. He didn't have lineage in the message. He didn't have forefathers in the message. But he recognized the supreme authority that was in this message. And he stepped right into the message. Hallelujah. He stepped right in the middle of all of it. He, he's seen the revival going on. Now, I, 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 have, I have an imagination at times. You've got to forgive me. But I get to thinking about, hey, man, that 11th hour worker, it's like you've been working at a business your whole life, and a fellow shows up and hires in, and they give that guy the same money. You, you've been getting $30 an hour because you've been working at a company for 25 years. And here this pipsqueak works out of college, walks straight in there, and they give him $32 an hour and all the benefits. And he ain't worked a day in his life in that place. And he's getting the same pay everybody else is getting. 
And Jesus said this 11th hour worker who comes in the last minute will get the same pay as the first hour worker got. Now what that means is, it means that whenever, whenever Jesus appeared down there in paradise and they started cleaning out paradise, amen, y'all, y'all give me a little grace here, but I, I, I can only see this little fella kind of, kind of standing here watching and there's a great procession going out of paradise out that door. There goes Christ and his forerunner behind him. And then all of a sudden there's an announcer maybe standing in the corner. Said here's David that fought Goliath and brought the children of Israel. And in all the years that he did. Amen. Amen. Everybody. Amen. Give a welcome to David. And the whole crowd is rejoicing. Oh David. David you done so good. And you're oh my goodness what a beautiful man. Amen. And right behind him. Amen. Here comes that great Elisha the prophet. Robed. And he comes walking in gallant y'all, y'all got to go with me a little bit he come walking and then strolling down through you can see him in his robes and all of his prophetic authority and everybody's oh there's Elisha the man of God I wonder what he looked like and Elisha standing there and there comes that little shootamite woman over there's the widow of Serapath amen what a revival going on a reunion happening there and, and, and they're walking through there and all of a sudden you turn around and look amen and there's Abraham 25 years of invested faith and there that man of the faith comes walking the crowd's going crazy these great heroes of faith but this one little guy in the back he just comes walking brother Tim somebody said well who is this guy amen who are you really fella he said well I'm nobody actually he said I was a sinner up to just a couple minutes ago and I was hanging next to this guy on the cross and I recognized him as the Messiah, and he gave me eternal life. Well, brother, that's my story. That's my story. It was a pardon that come off of that cross that gave life unto that one who was hanging to the right. Brother Bram said that's exactly what's happening here. There was something being given. Sovereign grace comes from a sovereign place. You say, who can God save? Anybody he wants to. What can grace do? Anything it wants to do. The prophet of God said, see, you say, can I do this or shall I do this or must I do this? He said, it doesn't do anything. Grace is sovereign and he can save the vilest. He can save the worst. He can save the most impure. He can save the most immoral and he can heal the sick. Amen. Tell somebody he can do what he wants to. God don't have to ask us who he can save. God don't ask us, amen, who can get right and who he can take. Amen, there may be people that you have thrown away in your mind and said they will never make it. And the grace of God can step into the room just one time. Just one time. And they'll be just as pure and clean as a woman who's been in the church her whole life. One moment in the grace of God could change everything. Amen. Listen, this prophet stood here on this platform as a supreme authority. And he looked out at this bride. And I, 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 I pray that these quotes never become uh, common to us as believers. Because what they mean to us is so much more. When a prophet stood here in supreme authority and he said, You are justified as though you never did it in the first place. You know what that means? That means the first place was the mind of God. 
What did that picture represent? The mind of God has come down to reveal who you were in Him, not who you are in your families, not who you were in whatever life you was living. But God had a bride in His mind from before the foundation of the world. And He sent this message to identify the sons of God that were there before the world began. And there was a pardoning power that will come with this word if He calls you brother. Now, I'll say this as clear as I know how. How can you preach predestination without preaching atonement? How can you say I'm going to be somewhere and not make a way for me to get there? If I say this bride will come to a perfect place, to a perfect position, in a perfect place with God, there's got to be an atonement somewhere. There's got to be a something somewhere. That can take away the sin of your life. There's got to be a power somewhere. That can clean the vilest person. That can take the most immoral acts of your life. And totally do away with them. What is it? How can you preach predestination or ordination without an atonement? What is it? It's an atonement. How many knows we didn't even have the word atonement until the 16th century? Amen. It was Wycliffe when he was translating Tyndale, was translating the Bible. He gave us the language of atonement, the Bible calls it, the language of atonement. The word atonement actually means the same word as the word pitch in the Old Testament. When Noah was told to pitch the ark, he was told to atone. And what that actually means is he was told, amen, to cover it from the judgments of of God that was coming upon the earth. The only thing that would do it would be the life of another tree. He could cut down the old tree out there, the, uh, uh, maybe take a seed or something. He'd cut it down. He'd take the life out of that, and he would drain the pitch and then protect the ark with the life that come out of another tree. And that tree, Jesus Christ, came into the earth and was cut down, and God took the holy life out of Jesus Christ and atoned you with the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, Preacher, what does it mean? It means there's something standing between you and God. There's something standing between you and God this morning. What is standing between you and God is the blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. This message could not pardon you without a blood to take away everything that you've ever thought. Everything that you've ever felt. Every situation that's ever come into your life. Amen. There's got to be a blood somewhere that you could plunge that person into the blood and it would eradicate everything the devil put upon them that they could be what God made them originally to be. It was called the language of atonement. And that atonement was given over the church. Amen. When William Tyndale, when he translated the scripture, Amen. His word atonement was used mostly in the Bible. Amen. It was, it was actually, it was actually translated a couple different ways, but it actually means, it means that the sin is covered. Do you know the blessing of having your sin covered? I know you're all hot. I am as well. Are we okay? Do you know the blessing of sin being covered? It is called in the scripture Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. That his sin is covered. What could 
cover the sin of humanity. What could take away the sin of humanity? There had to be an atonement and God himself would have to be the atonement that was made over your life. Of course, that's what's shown in the New Testament when it speaks about the holies of holies and that the, 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 the actual gold covered the wood in the Ark of the Covenant. David was told here that his transgressions would be forgiven, that his sin would be covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. There are actually people that God will not impute sin under their names. There's people sitting here today that God said there's a blessing upon them that I will not count the sin that has struck their lives. Now, I could pull you up here this morning as a preacher and shake your hand and say, your sins are forgiven you. That's like one prisoner saying to another prisoner, you're free. Yeah, one jailbird to another. Hey, buddy, you're free. By what authority? Who said I was free? If it's just a man saying you're free, then you're still bound under the same sins. But in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, amen, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That word reconciliation right there. William Tandale translated it as atonement. It was the ministry of atonement. The bride has been given the ministry of atoning the sins of the people. You say, Brother Wayne, what are you saying? I am telling you that the preaching of this message is the atoning power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Brother Branham said this preaching will bring down a blood veil. That's why Paul said you are washed by the water of the word. There's a power in this message. That can wash the violent sinner. It can wash the heart. It can wash the life. And it can change everything about you. There's a power in this word. There's a power in it that God has given a ministry. He's given a ministry over this church. As a ministry of an atonement. Can I just put it clear to you? Jesus is not going to die on the cross this morning. There's not going to be bloodshed today. Nobody's going to take Jesus out here and hang him and crucify him today. That was done 2,000 years ago. But today, that blood will come to you by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same as you are healed, Jesus will not be hit again with a whip. But your faith will get a hold of the atoning blood and the power and it will heal you. And that same atonement was given for every sin you ever committed. For every thought that you ever had. For every situation you were ever in. And the power of that blood is in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you preach this message, you're doing more than just gathering people. 
When we preach this message, it's more. It's more than just gathering people up and speaking to them to make them feel better. When you take the words of this ministry, of this prophet, you are literally washing them from their sins and their habits and their lives and their situation. You bring me the dirtiest person in the world and let me preach this message over them and I'll wash them of every filth, of every sin that has ever been committed to them because I am under authority. I have been given authority. Come on church, the voice of the blood speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood is speaking this morning through the voice of the bride of Jesus Christ. Oh God. Amen. What is it? It's the sounding of the Jubilee trumpet. And it's been sounded over the church. People say to me, say, well, Brother Wayne, there's such a wide gap between the people and their God. Brother Branham talks about it in the message. And he says, you know, he says, the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, it will come. And he said, it will make a bridge across that gap. It will make a bridge across that gap. So let me just put it the best way I understand it. That Adam is here. And God is over here. And Jesus built a bridge between the two. But they're still on separate sides. But after the seals are opened, Brother Brown changed the way he taught that. And he said, look, friends, the blood of Jesus did not bridge that gap. He said it removed that gap. The power of this blood has never been known until the preaching of the message of the hour. When the seals were tore off, it revealed the names of people who could never, ever be in the hell or in the condemnation of sin. This book was written before you ever got here. This name was on this book before you ever come to the earth. And God said the power of this blood will be so powerful. It will remove all sin. It will remove every chasm. And David and, and David sang about it. And Paul wrote about it and said nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, y'all know there's nothing that has been. There is nothing that is. And there is nothing coming that can remove a child of God from his Lord. I have been through a lot of things. But nothing can separate. You know why? Because they have become one thing. This message has joined the bride and Christ together. When he sees you, he sees the blood. When he sees you, he sees his word. I know some of you sitting here this morning, you got situations in your life. And powerful things that's happened in you. And some of you have wondered if you ever really could get things right again. But that lying devil's lied to a lot of people. I was just reading the prophet just the other day and he said this very clearly. He said, you know, he's discerning a man. He said, you're thinking that because this sin's been committed that you could never be, you could never have a, j- a grace again. You could never have be salvation. And Brother Bam looked at him. He said, young man, he said, do you love Jesus? 
And the man said, yes, I love Jesus. He said, then that is a proof that you've never went too far. He said, because to love Jesus means somebody created that love in your heart. And without God in your heart to create that desire, you couldn't even desire to love Jesus. How many here love Jesus this morning? And it's a proof that you didn't go too far. But what it is, is you've got to get yourself back under the authority of the Word of God that can take these things out of your life and bring complete liberty to you. I love how Brother Branham says it. When Brother Branham announces this over the church, he begins to say to the church, he said, listen, friends, the day of sin is finished. His ministry brought an end to sin in this day. There's come something in our generation that has changed the situations of our lives. Listen, this message that we're preaching this morning. I'm preaching to you from my heart telling you something. This has supreme authority over whether you're a sinner or not. It has supreme authority of whether you're the bride or the church. This message that men have handled so lightly, this is the headship to this body. Listen, friends, whatever you do, whatever you do from this time on, stay under this message. Let our musicians come this morning. Stay under this message. Whatever you do. People talk against it. But it didn't lose its power. They've crucified it. But it didn't lose its power. It has the power this morning. Prophecy from Daniel 2. Prophecy from Daniel 7. Became the revelation in Revelations 10. It can clean you. It can pardon you. often think about it, Brother Ryan, about the grace that God gives us in our lives. Divine love, it projects sovereign grace. In one place, it looks like that you could have been unredeemable. And then when you flip the page... Nothing is even held to your account. Something with great authority has to do that. This message is the only thing that has the authority to pardon your life. To give you that position. We're going to give our everything to it. And give everything we got to this word. It's a word that can clean you. We're sitting here this morning. There's people all over this building. I know that uh, I know that John and Victoria Waldner 
come show me a baby just yesterday. Born the same day your baby was born. Come right out of these meetings last year. There's people sitting here this morning with victorious lives. Because God put a message in this earth. Some of you fathers and mothers are sitting here with your children. Because God put a message in this earth. You have a church because God gave a message. When we sit here and look at this today and realize the authority of it. There's people, there's people around you. There's spirits that are all through this generation. To take away the authority of this word. But when you let them remove this authority, you have lost the power of pardon. You have lost the thing that can set you back in place with God. You know, when I, when I read about this, and I, I've had people come up and they say, well, you know, Brother Bram was wrong here and he was wrong there and this and that. But, you know, standing here, I'm, I'm preaching to you. Brother Biscoll was with Brother Bram. Brother Biscoe saw those things and come back and with us. Said he 